This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things Real Housewives. My name is James Evans, and joining me is my slut pig co-host, it's Ali Nunn. <laughs> ah, I panicked! <laughs> slut pig. What? Uh, that's got to go down in a Hall of Fame insult. So what I love as well is that she says, she says you're a pig, and then she's like, no, no, slut pig. <laughs> yeah, she's like, scratch that, that was my first draft. Scratch I'm coming that. back to it now. A slut pig. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I've been very frazzled today. I, I had a couple of online auditions. Oh, wow. And one of them I had to I had to do a lot of yelling. So I really kind of like my, I feel like my vocal cords are very swollen at the moment. Well, James, if you need to take a moment and maybe say a prayer by the garbage can or something, I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> if you need to take a time <laughs> out. Oh my God. No, don't worry. I have, I have my Frappuccino filled with whiskey. I'm good to go. <laughs> But no, apart from that, no, I feel so on that is kind of tempered by the overwhelming love and support that I'm feeling from everyone who's listening so far. I mean, I have to just spend a moment and say, we're getting so many lovely messages and reviews, and it just warms my cold, dead heart to read them. And thank you so much for the kind words, guys. I mean, I know it's like a thankless task that we do over here in the Housewives Archives. We don't get paid to do this. So please just do keep them coming. And I, you know, if I can be serious for a second, podcasting is very hard to get the word out. You know, there's no kind of algorithm where, you know, you can just stumble upon it. It all really relies on word of mouth from your friends and your co-workers and your loved ones. So please do keep on spreading the word, writing a good review. That helps us very well as well and yeah just thank you so much i'm getting all sappy now oh james i barely recognize you (laughs) i know (laughs) who am i who do i think i am oh that's so lovely that people are saying lovely things i of course have no idea i pay no heed whatsoever to what happens with this podcast i turn up and speak and then no i edit it i run the instagram you're all dead in the water for me (laughs) i'm the one making the memes the alex record i'm a very busy lady as kim would say i'm an icon over here so you know did you see the lovely uh, comment that we got from a listener who compared us to nigella lawson well, I actually did see that and since it's yeah. it's not my first time being compared to Nigella since the second that you're basically English and like curvy and have a low voice. Uh, when I came over to America a few years ago, people kept asking if I was her daughter. Oh, wow. But then one man also at a service station thought I was Anne Hathaway. So I'm not sure how much I, I, I think I have to take with quite a large sort of handful of salt each of these comparisons. Oh my God, I'm not taking anything with any salt. Anything that's vaguely a compliment, then I'm taking it. I, I'm, I'm being voracious with these nice comments that we're getting. It's straight in your Instagram handle. <laughs> no, much like Nigella Lawson elevating fast food, we are elevating this shit, as Leo would say. It's a service we're happy to provide. Absolutely. Uh, that's enough patting ourselves on the back. We're British after all. I think that, you know, we need to get on with the show here. Unless, is there anything that's happened this week that you want to tell me about? 
No, I mean, I I watched the first episode back of Salt Lake City. Ooh. And I have to say, that opening, they've gone served us good. Like, that was very, oh, very so, good. So last time I left you, you hadn't even started Salt Lake City. So you've started season two. Yeah, I've watched the whole of season oh. one. Oh, fantastic. How is that oh, possible? <laughs> I haven't been gone that long. <laughs> You're on vacation God. as well. You're in Corfu. What were you doing? <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> God, I feel like I went down a wormhole, just like lost a week of my life. And it was worth it. It was totally worth it. Salt Lake City, they've done really well with that. It's a really strong first season as well. And then to just come out with a home run for the second season. They just, they must not be able to believe their luck. In fact, it, honestly, it felt quite reminiscent of Beverly Hills' first couple of seasons. That like they, the, the circumstances have just handed them some incredibly good tv yeah something really really something ordained from the gods and it's just fallen into their laps and we just get to watch it play out the 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 timing it worked out perfectly that they were filming it because normally this always happens in the downtime it's like just our luck that someone gets arrested off camera yeah yeah i honestly don't think my heart can take it between beverly hills and salt lake city happening at the same time it's too much to bear I, at the moment there there is nothing that makes me happier than when the new episode of beverly hills drops each week and i like get into bed and i pull the duvet up and i normally have like a cup of something hot and enjoyable and i snuggle down and it's nirvana i'm so happy each week which is funny because it's not the most gripping series there's ever been a beverly hills but there's just something so wholesome it's like it's really feeding whatever that craving is that I had. I have actually found the opposite and I've had to really change my <gasps> viewing habits because, you know, you know, like you can't eat a big meal before bed. You need to like give it a few hours. I sure. can't just watch the show live anymore at 9pm and then go to bed straight afterwards because it's too much excitement. Like the adrenaline's still pumping. So I have to kind of like go and read a book or do something a bit more wholesome, like do some knitting or just have a good lie down. Oh, you're a better person than I am. No, no otherwise I, I just can't sleep. It's just, it's ruining me. I, I go to bed with just like visions of cars rolling five times <laughs> over, like swirling around in my head and broken ankles. And oh my God. These stories, fucking up. Gretchen being like, do you want to do a fast? Where it's like, oh my God, what world are we in where that's still a thing that you ask someone? No. Wait, who's Gretchen? Did I just say Gretchen? Yeah. <laughs> Crystal. Oh, Crystal. Did I you don't confuse her with Gretchen Rossi? I have no idea where Gretchen came wow. from. But then, to be fair, the other week I was trying to remember the name of a book. And the book is called Sorrow and Bliss. Or Sorrow and Tears. And I said, I really want to read that book, Miss Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Your head's just working on a higher frequency than the rest of ours. There's, Miss Mason! The, what? Literally, it's wow. nowhere does it say Miss Mason. <laughs> it's not like the character's called Miss Mason. <laughs> I think, I feel Kim Richards and Kim Richards and I are moving at a similar frequency at this point. Right, yeah, completely. You, Kim, and Sonia Morgan, you're like the, the trinity of just batshit babbling. That Gretchen thing was a bit Dana Pam. That was like, just like, pick a, pick a name, any name. Gretchen, Crystal. Crystal, Gretchen. Gretchen. <laughs> oh, 
Kim uh, Richards. I'm excited right. to um, oh. to sort of try and... Kim Richards feels a bit like when you have a necklace that's so tangled up that you're like, where do I... I can't even find the end to begin the untangling process to like make this a straight line. Yes, like our episode is going to be her top that gets wrapped around her neck at game night and we're going to spend the next half an hour trying, trying to, to undo thread it. it. While she's calling to no avail because the truth is a bit like Sonia Morgan, Kim Richards, whether she's like sober or intoxicated, doesn't actually bear that much reflection on what plane she's working on. Like it's the Mm -hmm. same with Sonia, where quite often you look and you go, "God, I think Sonia has a has a bit of a problem with alcohol." Understatement of the year, but like then you see Sonia sober and you're a bit like, "Oh, she's just as batshit crazy." And it's the mm-hmm. same with Kim that I think the first few seasons everyone assumed that Kim was on another planet because she had a problem. But actually, the more you watch the show, the more you're like, oh, Kim is just bad. Yeah, and I think... And, that... and kind of awful and terrible as a person. Oh, completely. But I think now that we've had Kathy join the show, it's kind of illuminated that a bit more where it's like, oh, clearly something. there's just something in the water in the Richards family because yes, they're all although... a bit kooky. Like Kyle's the odd one out. Although Kathy being on the show also feels like a real reveal of this whole thing. It felt like Kim always used Kathy as this like thumb over Kyle's head of like, Kathy would have done this or like, Kathy would have had my back or Kathy would never say something like that. And then you meet Kathy and I'm like, I don't believe that Kathy's that great. I think Kathy's also mad and like also quite flitty with her allegiances no they, yeah they make it seem that she's this like big domineering matriarch like, like she's, she's like a mafia manzo, mother yeah 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 for sure it's absolutely like the caroline manzo and then you watch and then it we and see then her and she's shuffling around in her sweats like howling at her dog like exactly yeah. like having no idea who anyone is the bit when she mistakes Garcelle for kyle or when oh someone God. says everything's not hunky-dory and she's like who's hunky-dory i thought you were kyle <laughs> I like jokes. We're pranks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like Kathy uh, is what Kim thinks she is, which is like lovably kind of kooky and odd, which I think Kathy wears quite well, where Kim, I just don't think it's endearing. I, I feel like I'm going to keep coming back and back to this. Kim is just so knotted and multi-layered. And I think there are definitely glimpses of just unbridled childlike joy, I guess, but they're yeah. really few and far between and you really have to take them in isolation. But Kim is just, she's a strange creature, obviously, even at her most basic level. And even in, in the sense of, her casting on the show, she kind of very tidily fits this like recognizable trope in pop culture of the faded child, child star. star. You know, like yeah. from the get go, we immediately get this rundown of her CV and she rattles off all these movies and shows from the 70s and she like name drops all these other has beens. And she says that unbearable, that like endless story about her and Paris Hilton coming out of the restaurant. Oh, yeah, completely. And it just goes on and it feels, and they've just let her spiral on herself where it just gets sadder and sadder as it goes on. And that's within her first yeah, like five minutes. And it's like broken minutes. up with this like giddy wheezing as she's like, like I was someone. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like she's chasing your cigarette, being like, you know, I used to be a somebody. People yeah, yeah, used to yeah, ask yeah. for my picture. I was an icon. Like, Kim, Kim, Paris, Paris. And Paris That's an icon. icon. And I was like, step and aside, honey. Step aside. No, yeah, exactly. Your hair was here first. <laughs> 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 it's like, Kim. Okay, we when got we it. Do, when we do Kim, we sound like one of the Rugrats. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kim. I'm Tommy. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm Kim. It's Who? Chucky. What? It's Chucky. We oh, sound Chucky. like Chucky from the Rugrats. No, Chucky's like, duh. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Muppets and Rugrats I can't do. You're Chucky oh, and you uh, Fuck. <laughs> that is very uh, similar to your um, posse bear. Oh, completely. No, yeah. Muppets and uh, Rugrats are not in my wheelhouse. Uh, but I will say, so she has this kind of very living in a bygone era. She's very kind of Norma Desmond, but also with like a touch of sort of Michael Jackson and whatever happened to Baby Jade in there as well. Because of that, like very kooky eccentric thing that we were saying she's kind of like living in this perpetual childhood because she never got to have one when she was younger because she was always working yeah and absolutely all of this the point i'm trying to make is that despite being very easily synthesized into this cliche that's very recognizable she remains this very singular creature on the housewives canon she very much occupies her own sphere and she's like not stepping on anyone else's toes in a casting sense it's very hard to categorize her because over the years we've seen literally dozens of like alcoholics or plastic surgery obsessives or people living on credit or even people who got arrested but kim is the only one of her kind that we've seen on these shows so even on that very base conceptual level she's just a a complete outsider before we explore them yeah no sorry no before we explored that no (laughs) i'm on a roll I, I just, know, I, I wanted, I, yeah, I want to hear what you were saying. No, just on, like, the macro level, she's an outsider that's quite hard to put into one tidy place. And then, of course, in the minutiae, she, it's just so funny that we have Kim, who's such an oddity, and that she's placed in the cast of Beverly Hills, which is unarguably the stuffiest cast and the one that's like most collectively concerned with appearance and reputation, mm. and, you know, what will the neighbours say? They're probably also the most indirect cast and they tend to sort of shy away from tackling a problem head on. It's like a very fragile ecosystem in Beverly Hills that consists completely of like air kissing and fakery. Q adding Kim Richards into the mix, who is just a ball. She's like unfettered id. She's just a ball of chaos that yeah. just barrels on through and completely throws everything off kilter so so much of the show is just kim operating on a completely different frequency and speaking a completely different language and just none of the but do women you think some of that with. is down to kim has such a focus on the domestic sphere in a way that the others sort of play the show quite well that they they show their kind of like sunday night dinner or whatever but kim seems to actively almost not want to be on the show unless it's appearing with her kids almost as if the show Mm -hmm. is just like a glorified family album she wants the footage of like her sending her kids off to prom or like her family dynamic at home or a barbecue but she seems acutely uncomfortable the second she has to be out of that sphere and with the other women and dressed up or socializing or at any kind of party it seems like kim would be more comfortable if the show was just a documentary about her and her family completely yeah it's the integration part of it that i think she really struggles with and that exactly like you're saying really upsets the ecosystem of the show because she doesn't play the show properly it kind of strikes me when we meet kim because we're told two things one this kind of faded child star thing that that very much makes sense and we kind of Mm. get that and then the other is that she really tries hard to sort of sell that thing of i gave all of that up on my own terms to be a mom and i love being a mom it's my favorite thing i don't know is that season one the tagline where it's like my most important role is is being a mother and she's like her first her introduction is all of her kids like her second scene uh which is also i think kyle's introduction which is quite weird is her Mm. 
how so- it's funny that you can see the show thought Kim would be I think more of a leading role and Kyle is very much introduced as Kim's sister mm-hmm. and it feels like then Kyle took up this mantle of like the everyman in the show but where I think they thought Kim would be the bigger personality and the bigger pull. But then they're looking for a house and almost immediately, like, everything about the house doesn't work for Kim because of her kids. She's then saying, maybe I want another baby or whatever. She's very much introduced as having this this heavy, heavy focus on her identity being wrapped up in being a mum. Which we never really see play out you know like i know these shows they're reality tv but we only see a select amount of scenes of a person but short of that opening episode we never really see the kids again she makes it seem like every episode we're going to have like sunday dinners with all the kids around and but it's to be like fair, a kind of a mother role that the does show kind of doesn't but i wonder whether the show didn't really want to show that i feel like also i think we do get quite a lot of kim's family um I was watching that, the bit when she's sending her daughter off to prom and she just keeps listing the ingredients of the salad that she's made. She's like standing behind listing all the ingredients of this like walnut chicken salad whilst her daughter's getting there. Oh, that she mixes with her bare hands. Oh, amazing. Yeah, completely. No, no. But also you get like that barbecue. I think it's I meant just in the first season. But isn't it in the first season you get that barbecue where the guy she met at the supermarket, she invites him over and then she pretends the baby's hers. And she and her kids basically play this prank on a guy where it just sums up Kim that, like, she sabotages any chance for, like, something for herself, basically, to be in on a joke with her kids or to, like, be the, like, kooky mom figure. Yeah. I think that's what I find weird with Kim is so many of her, like, pranks, rather than being something where everyone's in on the joke, seems to be something either at the expense of another person or where no one really gets it. So much of Kim's existence on the show is her basically doing stuff, being like, it was a joke. And everyone being like, mainly Kyle being like, well, no one got that was a joke. That like, it... I've been needing to cough for ages and I feel like I had this horrible, like, phlegmy growl, very Kim actually, this kind of like (laughs) phlegmy growl at the back of my throat. But yeah, I feel that where someone like Kathy... There's much more of a sense that if she was to pull a prank or something, everyone is going to benefit from the laugh that we get at the end of it. Kim's pranks often seem to just be like a cover for her very weird behavior. Mm -hmm. Like even the crutches one is the only one that Kyle is in on. No, that's why I kind of think that she's a bit kind of Michael Jackson-esque, where she's sort of stuck in this. She has a bit of a lost boy complex and she's sort of stuck in this Neverland, this very sad Neverland in the valley somewhere. And I remember watching a documentary about Michael Jackson where he, because he never got to do anything normal, he like rented out a grocery store so that he could just have a go at just doing the shopping. And then they like hired a load of actors to also pretend to shop and not bother him. But he just so didn't know how to deal with that environment because he'd never been in it before. So he was kind of like taking frozen pies and like playing Frisbee with it and like spraying people with whipped cream. And so it was just like, no, that's not, it's it's like a very, how I imagine Kim when she's doing Sure, very shop. Kim. Like, yeah. No one else is in on this. Like we all thought this was just going to be a normal thing and you're not playing by those rules right now. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely what I meant. So in the first season, I feel like that's just like a recurrent theme of her... It feels like everyone just doesn't get Kim. I mean, do you think that... I have it in my head that Kyle was kind of one of the first people that they signed on to the show and that Kim came with Kyle. And a bit like with Camille coming with Kelsey, I kind of get the impression that Kyle and Kim were sort of like a package deal 
and that Kyle said, I'm aware I may be projecting a lot on Kyle right now, which might not be fair. This might not be true, but I just, they seem to make a big thing out of how she's famous or was famous at a time. And that Kyle was saying, look, if you get me on the show, I can get my sister on as well. And And they kind of, don't they talk kind of very, you know, obliquely about, I thought this would be a really good idea to get Kim out of the house and meet this new group of women. And I just kind of yeah. get the impression that she was drag kicking and screaming onto the show by Kyle to just sort of give her something to do. Yeah, I think that's true. I just think it's interesting that the way they introduce them on the show is very much the other way around. Because I think for the general public, Kim would be a better known figure. Yeah. Uh, so, I, But I definitely think that they probably came as a package deal. And the show must have not been able to believe their luck when they realised what a toxic relationship it is. And like the oh way God. that it culminated at the end of that first season i kind of wonder what they thought was going to happen by putting that like they clearly their whole family has quite like a frictious relationship that they constantly seem to be swinging between different arguments and i'm quite surprised that they agreed to go on a reality tv show where that was obviously going to rise to the surface that's what i mean and i mean i've kind of i i really don't enjoy kyle but i'm trying to kind of really temper myself here because i can't imagine this is pleasant to anyone to listen to who is a big fan of kyle but i'm trying to keep it objective but i get the impression with her she Kyle is very superficially charming enough to sort of masquerade as the protagonist, as the everywoman. And I think that we've been bamboozled into thinking that of Kyle. And I feel like Kim might not know better by doing this show, but surely Kyle did. Mm. And that must have been a concern when she had Kim come onto the show. And I have, I've been thinking a lot this week about narration on the show and how it's used with regard to Kim Richards. And like, you know, one of the techniques of Housewives is by including these talking heads is that there's always this fluidity of uh, narration where each of the women takes turns to sort of play narrator and get to tell their side of the story. And so with something like the Kyle and Kim dynamic and the complexity of their relationship and all its nuance and its toxicity, we ostensibly get to see both sides of that story. But unfortunately, because Kim is like eccentric at her best moments and just drunk, mess at her worst she ends up looking like a very unreliable narrator which she probably is and as a result there's like a very strong temptation on the viewer i think to see kyle purely by virtue of the fact that she's not wasted as like the inverse of that and to over invest in kyle as this very like reliable objective narrator and we're just taking her word as gospel which is for the most part i would but it means we kind of glide over these like I find it so annoying these proclamations about you know how she promised their mother on her deathbed that she would yeah, devote yeah. <laughs> her life to looking after poor Kimmy and it's just this thankless task and it, I'm like I know I'm not necessarily doubting the veracity of that but it just seems very embellished in a way that puts Kyle in a very sympathetic light because yeah Kimmy's I so think the, the I think this implication of Kyle using Kim as a sort of punching bag or bullying her I never really understood but what I do recognize uh like you say was that Kyle was probably cannier about the show and I think it's quite purposeful every time like you say um her sense of like 
look after Kim. We've got to make sure, like, Kim, what are you doing? What do you mean you're going to have another baby? Which means Kim does always end up looking bad. And I think Kim makes herself look bad, but that's by virtue of being on the show. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I think Kim just shouldn't be on the show in terms of... um, Oh, completely. Like, she is fundamentally not made for reality TV. Even down to the first big argument of the season between Kyle and Camille, Kim just completely shuts down and is like, I don't like confrontation. That's the thing. Like, she's like, not good she doesn't at know reality how TV, to do, really. She absolutely doesn't know how to do that. But then later, she kind of thinks she knows how to do reality TV with every time that she kind of screams at Kyle, like, you should just have my back no matter what because you're my sister. Where it's like... But she hasn't been able to do that. But under this excuse of, I, I don't, I, it's the show. The show makes me nervous or the show makes me, like the, yeah. the whole, the relationship can only suffer for being on the show. Oh, completely. And it's a question, I don't know, maybe this has happened. I just really wish that I saw Kyle answer the question, if you really, really cared about Kim and her getting better, like, wouldn't you just kind of encourage her to get off the show? I feel like I, I wrote, God, this is so wanky. When I was at university, I wrote a dissertation about cod pieces. <laughs> I swear this is going somewhere. Cod pieces are like very, they very ostentatiously and they very publicly announce that they're hiding something very private. And it's that kind of Eileen Davidson thing of like, please pay attention to me. Don't pay attention to me. Please pay attention yeah. to me. And I suspect that there's a bit of that with Kyle wanting to kind of cover up Kim's addiction in those first couple of seasons. And I don't Which doubt that she's massively her, drawing attention it's, to it, her. Like making a show of protecting her. Yeah. That I think that's renders so the true. whole like null and void. That's so fascinating and so true. This idea of the whole first two seasons is all about Kyle being like, it just weighs so heavy on me having to always look after Kim and protect Kim. But by very virtue of doing that, she's not protecting Kim because Mm -hmm. she's constantly putting Kim's actions, which don't get me wrong, are frustrating and in some ways inexcusable, but under the microscope. Do you, can I ask, do you... You can ask me whatever you like, James. (laughs) This is a safe space. (laughs) I think that this... Well, I'm treading lightly because it's such a horrible thing that she said. A horrible, horrible thing. But I kind of think it's one of those moments where Brandy does herself no favours, but there's a kernel of truth there. When she says in that one reunion, she believes that Kyle would be happy if Kim were to fall off the wagon. It's a really spiteful, cruel thing to say, but I do get the essence of what Brandy's getting that. And I think it kind of answers the question that you asked me last week about game night, about why they're getting on so much. And I just do think that Kyle is comfortable with a certain dynamic in which Kim is a bit of a fuck up and it gives Kyle a sense of purpose to be able to swoop in and save the day constantly. But also I wonder whether there'd be a degree to which if Kim fell off the wagon, then Kyle's proved right. Yeah, Because almost the more that Kim has her shit together, the more that it's like, Kyle, what have you been like complaining about for years? I think she almost wants, this is quite a natural thing. I think quite a lot of people do. Or If someone's been terrible to you, you kind of don't want them to become vindicated. No, you want to be vindicated by people recognizing their behavior. So Kyle's almost vindicated by every time that Kim is like an hour late because everyone can be like, God, how can you live with this? And it's like, I know. Yeah. I, I, I think it's going back to the child actor thing as well that I think there has to be something to be said and this is complete conjecture I don't know but something about 
Kim must have grown up very quickly and been around people and seen some things beyond her years, especially in the 70s. I can just kind of imagine that she was in like Studio 54 at the age of 10 and saw some sights that she shouldn't have. And there's just this weird, when they talk about their mother, it sends a chill down my spine. There's something about Big Kathy and we see photos of her and she does look like a mafia boss. Like she's this big Mm. domineering matriarch and you don't want to mess with her. And she's just this ghost that seems to lord over all of them. So I do think from the beginning that, toxic kind of infection it it was infected from the very beginning well we see those roots so much from is it the second episode of the whole first season where kim reveals this thing about the house and about their mother's house i mean she only alludes i think to it being painful to be there yeah i think she talks about the share about being bought out of her share Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and obviously very famously this all comes to a head at the end of the first season with that extraordinary limo scene and Kim screaming, Oh my God. You stole my goddamn house. Let's talk about it. It's so, it's so, um, it's such a, an arrowhead, that scene of a perfect buildup of the first season to, I was, I'm trying to say anything but iconic. (laughs) No, I was going to say it's a big disgusting pustule of resentment and decades long grudges that has just been burst with a hot pin and it's made a complete mess in the back of this limo. I mean, it's so, I know we say this every week, but it's like a Tennessee Williams play, like this family drama and like these Mm. ghostly matriarchs that aren't here anymore, but they're always talking about her. And it's like very, I mean, Rewatching it, I actually think that Kyle is really gunning for a fight. And I'm not, I don't necessarily think that Kyle went into this thinking, I'm going to out Kim as an alcoholic. But it made me uncomfortable on the roof of that building at Taylor's party where Kim is having a one on one. Is it with Taylor? She's having a one on one with someone, having the argument. And then suddenly she's surrounded. Kyle's decided to insert herself. And it just seems a bit like the Taylor situation with Camille, where you look at Kim and bless her, she's had her hair done up and she's like dressed like fucking Princess Diana. She's got like a big yes. pearl choker on. Like she's Yes, really another hard, example she... of Kim's wardrobe slowly trying to kill her. <laughs> Completely. And she's just shriveling and wasting away before us. And she's like, she's so lethargic, like her eyes are barely open. And you can see that... It's just too much for her. And it feels like the rest of these women are kind of in, oh, I'm in season finale mode. We need to like have one last explosive fight. Absolutely, yeah. And Kim's like, I can't do this anymore. And she's saying like, I'm not really friends with any of you. Like, you know, it feels like in code, she's saying, look, Kyle, you told me to do this show. You told me to give it a shot. It might be good for me. I don't like doing it. We've gotten to the end of the season. Can I please go now? It just feels like an SOS call almost to the audience where she's like, I don't want to do this show anymore. Can you please save me someone? And mm. uh, everyone's gunning for Kim and I don't quite get why. Was it just because Kim didn't back Kyle up enough at some that in New York when she was having her argument with Camille? It just seems so outsized. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. I think like you say, it's very reminiscent of the, the scene in Malibu with Taylor that I think they slightly corner her so she lashes out and like Taylor she then does say things that are quite provocative I mean I agree with you that that there is a degree of her sort of saying look I don't really know any of you but it does also feel like it's very reactionary to the group dynamic means that she basically is like I don't like any of you 
so it, it like perpetuates it into an argument when it kind of wasn't one in the first place. Like it, yeah. it's tricky. I mean, I'm trying to remember across that season whether it's just been that Kim's not been around or I get seasons one and two quite blurred in my head with Kim's behaviour. She's more kind of emotionally absent in the first season, I think. But it's just, it's striking to see even Lisa Vanderpump. She really, at one point, Kim's like, you two don't stick up for me or something like that and sort of points at Lisa and Lisa like really gets up into Kim's face and she's like, oh, excuse me. And it's so, I mean, we've talked before how frustrating it is where Lisa too often goes, oh, okay, forget it, whatever. It just feels like that should be a moment where it's like, Kyle's already whispered in your ear that she's drunk. This woman is just not, she's away with the fairies right now. That is a moment where you're just like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. All right, Kim, just like let her have it. And in fairness to Kim, she extricates herself from the situation and she leaves the party. And I don't know why Kyle would follow Kim. Kim handles everything the best and she's the most mature about everything. Yeah. And Kyle is the one. She's like a rabid animal. She's like pacing back and forth. She's going, where's Kim? She's getting her manager on the phone, trying to find Kim. She's like phoning security, telling them to stop Kim from leaving. And it's like, it's very controlling. She's in that iconic dress as well with the slits all down the arms. It's very 1991. Mm. And she's like constantly tugging it down in the limo, like filming it from the floor. And then we kind of end up in the limo and you just see Kim. It's just heartbreaking. She's in this corner. She's she's like a little wounded animal. She is. She's just licking her wounds and she's like melting and like receding into this black leather that's probably just sticky and disgusting. And Adrian says to her, maybe you need someone. It sounds like you're kind of lonely right now. And Kim goes, I like being alone. It's like she says it with a certainty as if she knows this is her lot in life happiness is for other people she doesn't deserve people or love or nice things that other people get and it calls to mind that do you remember that confessional i think this was years later after she was off the show but she um has a confessional where she goes i think i'm just hard to love oh god it's just a dagger in the chest i mean it's really bumming me out i'm sorry but she's literary in the way that the best housewives are Mm. this stuff just comes out of her this tragedy And I mean, I feel like everyone knows that scene and the back and forth and the lines that are thrown at each other. I don't know why Kyle comes into the limo. Mm. I'm trying to come up with answers without being really damning about her. Um, Well, I mean, I guess it's that thing that they know they're making a TV show and they, I guess it's like we've said about a lot of the Taylor stuff that in a way they were just starting out so they're trying to work out what the line is as well of like what makes great drama and what do you regret saying and using and that must be very hard when you're playing with your own personal life as your ammunition I feel like they both just get very kind of present and in the moment and allow themselves to as you say kind of like burst the pimple Mm -hmm. and it's a pretty volcanic eruption It's really extraordinary. It's the best argument, this fight, for casting women who know each other deeply and implicitly and who have a history together. Exactly. And siblings fight like no one else. That's exactly it, is that I think think the rawness comes from the sibling relationship that enables you to hit in a place that you just don't with other people. And the pain is so real and the the vitriol is so real in that moment between them because... 
often when siblings fight, you really do kind of hate each other in that moment. And you know how to hurt each other more than anyone else. It's a very uncanny kind of fight as well, because it's fodder that you would normally see on a very trashy 80s soap opera. It's very like warring siblings and I own 51% of this company now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it's so guttural and it's so raw. Yeah. There's like no sense of humour playing out Absolutely. And the way it ends with just her on her own in the back of the limo going, this is not okay. Oh my God. It's, there's so much to dissect about that final tableau. Her, she's sitting there alone in the back of the limo, dressed like Princess Diana. She's lit by this like neon lighting. One of the bulbs is flickering. And there's just like a sad pile of red cups there. Everything on closer inspection, you know, is just like sticky and broken Mm. and rotten. I would honestly submit this as the most emblematic shot in all of The Real Housewives. It's that perfect intersection of suffering and glamour. Yes. It's that camp tragedy that elevates the show above the the likes of Love Island or whatever. And if you don't get that, then you just don't get the show. Absolutely. (laughs) We can do no more. Exactly. So season two, because season two, there's a real shift, uh, first of all for the good and then for the bad. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like there's the skiing trip, we see this lovely side of Kim. Yeah. It's one of the few times where I feel like I really get how great Kim could be. And it's there's something kind of wonderful about when she's sort of picking Taylor up when she's low and they're lying on the bed together. And Kim suddenly taking on this this more maternal. Yeah more alpha role which we sort of never see her occupy yeah it's the first time we see her with responsibility yeah and it's really nice to kind of celebrate those like even like don't get me wrong kim can be a horrible person but as an audience to see an addict step up in any way for the positive is like something to celebrate yeah and she just seems very grounded in that moment yeah you really see a very real person there so what's the bad and then it all (laughs) just sort of slides i mean I'm trying to remember the order, but does it start with the Sacramento Kings game and the phone call yes. to Adrian and Paul yep. at the airport? Yep. I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone sound like Kim does on that phone call. They keep going on, she's an alcoholic, she's an alcoholic. I suspect that there's maybe a bit of pill abuse in there as well. For there's sure. Just something... It's not about being slurry. It's like no. she's making no sense. It's just even a game night, even like when they go and get surgery done and Paul's talking to her and she's lifting off all these pills that she's taking. It just that whole kind of culture really, I find quite frightening. Yeah. And Paul is saying like, speaking to me now, you're really glassy eyed. You're just not here right now. That's not just being drunk. That is, you're just on another plane. So she's not only absent when she is there, she's also just not filming for half of the season. And it becomes almost like a catchphrase. Like, where's Kim? Where's Kim? Is Kim coming? Like, where is she? Should we wait for her? Exactly. And it kind of culminates at one episode. Is it? I I think it's contrasted with a really glamorous event. It might be like Mohammed's Moroccan party or something like that. Yes. Where they're all dressed to the It's a beautiful bit of editing. It's great. And they're cutting back and forth between that and this scene of Kim. It's so good. It's like a little innocuous scene so we think where we're finally going to get the big reveal about who this mystery man is who's been keeping kim away that she's been hinting about for a while and the editors are so fucking shady they tease us for the whole scene we never see the guy we never see his face it's just just, his hand yeah we see shots of his hands holding kim's and we see close-ups of kim over his shoulder we only hear his voice no wait what's his voice it's like (laughs) (laughs) 
is good. It's it's just Kim's like, voice. Hey, honey, I'm so nice to meet you. Yeah, this is great. You know, we're having a really nice time. You know, when do you think? It's we're like his mouth doesn't move when he's talking it. at all. It's so growly and it's like there's no consonants whatsoever. Yeah, and it's like a lot of sibilance. I think that's where the gay bit in the bull mastiff comes from. From Brandy, it's like he's like got this kind of like campness to him almost. Sibilance. After all of this, there's a very sudden, very severe cut to a close-up of Ken's face and the long build-up and this abrupt reveal is done in such a way where it's obviously meant to be shocking and it's like the big plot twist. It's, it, is, just... it is designed to emit a guffaw from the audience. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, listen, he's no oil painting and Kim could clearly do better but the editors are acting like he's the fucking elephant man or something. It's like the Phantom of the Opera getting unmasked. It's meant to be like... <laughs> it's like guys he's just ugly it's like (laughs) he really does look like a bulldog he really does like it's spot on when brandy says that completely but thing is it's not just his appearance it's also his demeanor as we find out throughout yes the the season like if he were a really charming guy and had a really great sense of humor it might not be that bad but it's almost it's like if all of the housewife shows just filmed on the same lot but in different sound stages and then like new jersey and beverly hills were next to each other and Joe Judice just like stumbled out of the New Jersey soundstage onto Beverly Hills. And he's just like there suddenly on Rodeo Drive, just like lumbering around like a bull in a china shop at like the white party or something. It's yeah, just, but like, like if he got like attacked by bees on the way and had like a severe allergic reaction or something. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Because that's the other thing is that at least with those guys or with Dorinda's John, <laughs> you kind of get maybe what they maybe see mm-hmm. in them. But with Ken, it's like you say, there's no, it's not even like he has like a bullish charm or a kind of match energy or something he has the energy of a teenage boy shuffling from his bedroom to the bathroom uh, completely like, say, kind of monosyllabic good morning yeah comple- before like leaving all of the packets open in your kitchen or whatever <laughs> it's just and it's like the taylor and russell situation where kim gives us these talking heads where it's like he's amazing at parties he's so much fun and he's loving it and it's like <laughs> Okay, well, we're seeing him at the white party and I don't see it. I don't know about you. <laughs> that white party where she's like, we're just like lighting yeah, like, up the room. Everybody sees us like, and it's just like, we take <laughs> over, you know, it's like, Wah! oh my God, Kim. <sighs> it wouldn't be so sad if it wasn't, if Kim wasn't putting so much on this and she makes a big song and dance about how her whole life she's put herself second. She like worked and supported her whole family and then she was a mother and she was a wife again and again. And like, this is the first time she's doing something for her self mm. and it's like almost like a moment of peace and self-fulfillment for her that she spent her whole life waiting for and i mean i have to say i've kind of ragged on kyle a lot but i've never related to kyle more than when she meets ken <laughs> and she just like bursts into tears at the sight of him but then has to like make polite conversation with him and then she excuses herself and she's like it's lovely to meet you and like gives him a hug and then she like you can just hear her basically wailing in the next room and then yeah. ken's like <laughs> I think that went well. I think that went well. Ken. We have to talk about that trip. And partly because I think what the the trip to Hawaii... Is it Hawaii? Yeah. Um, I think what it really demonstrates is he has an odd kind of enabler quality to Mm -hmm. him that he just will like blindly support. There's something really... I mean, we'll get to it earlier on, but I think it's it's so exacerbated on this trip from everything from the fact that they're like two days late for the holiday there's no sense of him being a good influence it's not even like 
it's it's like Kyle at least would understand if he had the personality he had and the energy and the aura and the demeanor but then at least he was like good for Kim and was like yeah he's all of those things but he's boring but he's straightforward and he gets her there on time and he like makes her eat well or whatever he's just none of those it's like he's also just as bad as Kim it's like it's literally nothing to fight for no redeeming qualities whatsoever and that was kind of my assumption was that this guy has to be an addict of some kind or at least an enabler they kind of hint that he's controlling but seemingly controlling in none of the right ways exactly because they seem to yeah there's no sense of it's not only that they miss flights but then the second flight that where they have to take the smaller plane to the island they just elect to get the afternoon flight and it's like why would you sleep like you're on holiday what are you doing right now it's just as i have as an incredibly organized type a traveler the whole thing it makes me very stressed out i I break out into alex mccord highs like a hundred percent i mean i can't deal and I can't deal with the way that they rock up two days into the holidays, sit down to dinner and just like don't acknowledge and then make it like, why are you all so obsessed with the fact that we're late? It's done. Move on. We're oh, here Kim now. does that really annoying thing. Yeah. It's like, it's oh, okay. It it's all cool. Mad. Nothing to worry about. We missed the boat. And she's like, you worry about you. We're here now. Whatever. Where it's like, it's polite to say, I'm sorry, we're late. Like, God, that was mad. Yeah. And then they randomly lie about why they were late and say that Ken had to work. <laughs> For some, and then Ken, we find out that he's retired and you're like, oh, fuck it. Of course he is. He doesn't have looks. He doesn't have charm. He's a bad influence. He doesn't even have a job. Ever. Doesn't have a job. And he's no spring chicken, but he's not that old. It's just like, God, it just keeps coming with Ken. And I have to say, Kim, just that whole season, she has a very ghostly quality where she's just never there. And the way they talk about her, it's like she's dead. <laughs> and it's like they're getting her on the phone. It's like they're doing a seance or something to like get her to reach the other side or break through. She has like one foot in the mortal world and one outside. It's just... Very bizarre. Isn't that also the dinner that has one of the most uncomfortable moments of that entire season, which is when they get Paul and Adrian to kiss to like prove that they have any romantic spark whatsoever? I think it might be the worst kiss. And I've watched like four seasons of Love Island. I've seen some sloppy ass kisses, (laughs) but it is the most toe curling weird tongue kiss where I'm like I honestly would believe they'd never kissed before in their life I would believe that that was their first kiss it's like two teenagers being like I know how to do this but also I've never been less convinced of two people's happiness or attraction to each other it's the biggest overcompensation I've ever seen completely and up until that point I was so on board the Paul and Adrian train I'd, I'd love that they would bicker all the time and yeah. that was sort of the glue that held them together and they kind of knew what the deal was but yeah that was definitely a red flag for for what was to follow. I have to say, when they're at the dinner and Kim and Ken rock up, it's striking that it's Mauricio who seems to kind of take the lead in holding them to account. And I feel like as a viewer, whenever a house husband gets involved, for the most part, you're like, oh, okay, this kind of transcends just storyline fodder. Well, you really get on that holiday that it's got to the point where they're all just so sick of it. Yeah, and this isn't just like... uh I think this is still kind of before the days where it was like a given that there would be a big group international trip every year. This was still mm. kind of in those early stages. And it was for a re- it was for Mauricio's birthday. I feel like 
the show probably footed the bill, but I can imagine in real life, he probably footed the bill for Kim to come. And, you know, I kind of do believe that, you know, when Carl has that great moment in the limo where she's like, Mauricio's like stood up for you and stuck by you and like looked after you like he's like your his second wife. You really see him kind of snapping there and kind of really holding her yeah. to account. And I think it strikes differently when it's the sister's husband rather than just constantly through yeah. the prism of Kyle. And th- th- It's that's so weird what- with that trip as well, but oh, sorry. No, no, carry on. No, you go. We just then get that great moment where Kim is like, there's nothing to fess up to, Maurice. <laughs> Maurice. <laughs> that is one of the show's greatest mysteries that we never really get closure on. It's like, why Kim never gets her brother-in-law's name right? Just misses <laughs> the O. Kim is also has so many infamous deliveries of names like her, Yolanda, Yolanda. Oh, God, so good. That's the point, Yolanda. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other one that she... This isn't a name, but there's one moment when Rin is there and she's probing her about her her alcoholism and we get a talking head from Kim where she's like, I think Rinna needs to mind her own biswax. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good. Biswax. Maurice. Yeah. Um, but then the rest of the trip, what's crazy is it's not even like they show up and throw themselves into the trip and they're like, hey, come on, we're here now. We're having fun. Don't be sad. Moving on or whatever. Yeah. They throw themselves into the trip and then don't partake in a single activity <laughs> with anybody. Fucking waste. sit on their balcony drinking fucking Diet Coke. They don't even like oh leave the hotel. And they're like, we needed that. I'm sorry, this shouldn't be... this. That can't be right, that Kyle and and Lisa can just, like, hop over into their balcony. I know! That can't be right. So if you have an arse that's slightly smaller than Vanderpump's, any Tom, Dick and Harry can just break into your room. You can just... That's worrying. Exactly. Take note, don't stay in that Hawaii hotel. Completely. Not if you intend to, like, lie in bed all day. Did you see that meme where it was, like, a photo of Kim and Ken with their lays around their necks and then it just says white lotus above it no i didn't (laughs) i'll send it to you very very good Mm. and then they come to that dinner at the end where they basically just walk off and they're like we're gonna remove ourselves from this like toxic energy we've had a lovely holiday you're like you've been here for one day and And that's such a it's haven't left your room And also it's like, no, no, you can't break up with me. I break up with you. You can't be the one being like, this is a toxic situation and I'm taking myself out from it. Thank you very much. I'm disengaging. I'm disengaging. (laughs) I know. So annoying. Um, At that point, especially because it's Ken who's a bit like, we're gonna go. Oh, no, I... I, that was wrong. That wasn't Kim. That wasn't Ken's gravel. Is They've that, all got slightly confused. It's into really, like, it gets very confusing. I, it's hard to keep track of. I know. I went a bit Patty and Velma from The Simpsons. Yeah, but he, he like excuses them. And at that point, I think you're like, well, Ken's just always going to enable Kim. So it's really surprising when, for me, I thought the season took quite an unexpected turn with starting with Kyle encountering Kim at that clothes shop where Kim has that total breakdown. Yeah. And it's really upsetting. And she keeps being like, I didn't want it, it wasn't meant to be like this. And she's so like, was that I after didn't... Hawaii? I'm because I kept I didn't rewatch I didn't see that scene on my rewatch, but then every other episode I watched, it kept cutting to that moment in the clothes shop. So can you fill me up? What was she what was, what was she I can't in? remember. Feel free to write in and correct us on which which place this came in. But I thought it happened after Hawaii and that it was about 
saying her kids were upset that she and Ken Mm -hmm. were together. And I figured that that was the beginning because they see each other and then we have our second infamous Kim limo scene. Oh my God. Well, before that, that we have... Unreal hotel scene. Ah, let's talk about the hotel scene. It's everything that's unholy and cursed about this union just distilled into the world's saddest hotel room that for some reason they just decided to rent just to go to this party at Sir. I don't understand why they're in a hell, why they're in a hotel room in the first place. They're in hell. That is what they're doing. Well, a hell. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I honestly think I wouldn't be surprised if I did something terrible in my life and got sent to hell and I got there and it was that hotel room with Ken and Kim, just like stuck in an endless, like waiting to go and never being ready. It's so purgatory, isn't it? It's just yeah. like, it's cramped. They're on top of each other. It's claustrophobic. It's dirty. There's clothes strewn they're, everywhere. They're angry with each other as well. So it's yeah, like- that getting that really thick atmosphere of like arguing but also they can't even fully argue because there's like a makeup person there so they're like doing passive aggressive arguing you just see kim breaking down completely like and i don't mean like having a nervous breakdown but just her bodily functions just not working like they're supposed to she's like rifling through her suitcase i don't know how she has so many clothes and she's like coughing all over it with her mouth open and it's just like you just think she's going to start rotting and like limbs are going to fall off her soon. Like she's barely stringing a sentence together. Is like... that the scene where she pulls the vibrator out of her? No, that's another one where she like, thinks it's and a she's lipstick. Like, I thought it yeah. was... No, it's not that one, but no. <laughs> I'm like, how could you... It's, it's oh, okay. like the Nadir of... It's like Sonia Morgan, like really rough, but on crack. Probably quite literally. It's just the absolute bottom of the heap of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. There's nothing aspirational whatsoever. But it's sort of Sonia without the charm. Completely. Like, even at her lowest, Sonia weirdly has a kind of charm. Even in um, those moments where she's like, I'm going to yeah. fight you or whatever, and then collapses under the table. There's a kind of weird raffishness to Sonia. Yeah. Which is why you get people like Bethany being like, okay, you're going to fight me. Like, mm-hmm. whatever. Whereas with Kim, like there's just like a dirtiness to the whole thing where it's it's just really upsetting. Yeah, to watch. even when Sonia's like picking up dry dog shit in her house, like you can tell that the townhouse was once upon a time it had some luster to it, but it's just that in this Marriott hotel and a strip mall it's just like honestly my day-to-day existence is pretty fucking depressing and it would make for more glamorous television than this scene that we're seeing like you know what i'm being put up in a jury's in for filming next week i may have to recreate this scene and just send you i'll fly over i'll play ken deal (laughs) wonderful and then afterwards we can get a limo over exactly play with all the rubbish that's in there the rubbish is the worst bit and the rubbish is the point where you can see that ken is just even Ken is done. That's the thing. You actually... You end up feeling sorry for him. You really feel for Ken in this scene. Like, he's trying to salvage whatever's left of this evening. And he's, like, desperately trying to cheers, but, like, meet her drink because she's, like, swinging it around all over the place, like, writhing around. She's got her reading glasses on for some reason. Like, I don't know what she's reading. And even he seems to be trying to protect her from the fact that they're being filmed. So even, like, the tissue paper and things like that, it's like he's desperately trying to be like, don't go through someone's garbage on television. Yeah, like, you know it's trash. Don't open it up right now. Like, close it. Oh, it's it awful. It. She's very Anna Nicole Smith in this scene as well. We get that great gif-worthy moment where she's, like, looking at herself in the mirror and she's, like, putting on her lip gloss and she's pouting. She's, like, messing up her hair and she, like, yeah. thinks she looks gorgeous and she's just that drunk girl at a party. She wants Ken to take off her bra on camera because it's dirty and it's like, Kim, you were playing with rubbish literally like, two seconds ago. Like, and then cares? she also does that it's weird just... thing of barreling into the party like super high energy and like, 
about like seeing everyone but doing that thing of like immediately grabbing yeah. people and being like it's not good I like I want to yeah. I want to break it's such a it's actually really really relatable in terms of I feel like I've had someone come into a party and do that to me where they're like manic and they're operating at that level where they're like, mm-hmm, we're going to have like an amazing time, but like, mm-mm, I'm leaving my partner or whatever. And you're like, whoa, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it also just means that the person is left with like no answers to their questions because it's like, well, we can't talk about it now, but you've just like dropped this bombshell on them. Like spreading it throughout the room to everyone. Exactly. And then Ken is just like chasing her around the party. Yeah. He's like, I don't know anyone. Please don't leave me. And of course she's off. She wants to get out of there. And really. bearing in mind, it's not like he's her date. Like they've been together for like half this season. They've been on holiday day together and she's acting as if she's trying to ditch a blind date i don't know what happened it's like she stepped into sir and there was like i don't want to say a moment of clarity because she's still batshit but something shifts there where it's like it feels like she's been held captive in that hotel room yeah yeah for days and days and days and this is like her first ta- like taste of freedom of like seeing someone and yeah. she's just like just getting her fill like clinging on to these people desperately and we then have that really nice moment I don't know if nice is the right word, but at least some kind of resolution with Kyle in the back room at Sir, where they're just kind of saying, listen, what's going on? And Kim sort of says that he's not good for her and she she wants out. She's had enough and drops this bombshell that she's three months late. And <laughs> she's like, I think I want to have a baby. No, I want to travel. <laughs> oh, God. But were you going to say about the lip gloss moment? Well, they have this lip gloss moment, which is really heartening because it's really cute it's really it's, sweet it's really sweet because they're kind of getting somewhere and then Ken comes in and plonks himself down next to Kim and so the conversation is stopped dead in its tracks but then it's like Kim takes out her lip gloss applies it and then passes it over to Kyle it's almost like an olive branch mm. and Kyle takes it and does the same and it's just this really nice sisterly childlike yeah. moment of resolution and it's almost like they're continuing the conversation in a way that only sisters can, that can yeah, be privy absolutely. to. And it was just, there's so much subtext injected into that. That it was just a really nice ending for them. Or so we think. Do you think maybe Kim was just doing like a how to lose a guy in 10 days thing and the whole limo journey is just her trying to put Ken off <laughs> every, so that she doesn't have to break up with him. So she's like, oh book. my God, even the trash, literally like when I next need to get out of a bad day, I'm going to be like, take off my bra, it's dirty. Yeah. It's like, and then I feel like in the end, she just like locks herself in the loo and is yeah. like, <laughs> just leaving him trying to knock on the door. That's the thing. Like, you want to take out. Ken and like give him some, you know, build him up and be like, honey, you got to leave her. Come on, you need to know your self-worth right now. It's I mean, come on, enough is enough. Absolutely. Oh. She ruined your Hawaii holiday. Yes. I think that we're going to have to return to Kim for some more because I'm aware that it sort of was just the beginning. Because after this, it feels like Kim had a, a couple of more endearingly kooky series yeah. before, again, just quite a, like a vicious side coming out where... I don't think we're done with Kim, but I think that that lip gloss moment is a lovely place to leave Kim and Kyle. Let's end on a high, a temporary high for now. Let's end with Ken forever in purgatory, banging on that bathroom door. Insert. Trying to get that bit of fingernail out of his eye. (laughs) What a day. (laughs) What a day. All right, shall I take us out? Take us out. Okay. Uh... I've got a random thing. Okay. It's very this isn't Kim. What I normally do, but for some this is what I've got. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week for our f- no. Okay. <laughs> this is for some reason this is the one I had at the season finale of last year. 
Thanks for joining us this week on the Housewives Archives. If you like what you heard, um, <laughs> thanks for joining us this you? season on the Housewives. <laughs> I've got it's not the one that I normally do for some reason. It's like you one don't know have. it off by heart yeah. now. I know. I'll, I'll just yeah, wing it. Thanks for joining us today on the Housewives <laughs> Archives. If you really enjoyed what you heard, click subscribe if you haven't already, and write us a lovely rating. Tell all your friends and family about the show. You know, we'd really appreciate it. And oh, don't forget to click subscribe on at Housewives Archives on Instagram <laughs> as well. Thank you so much. We love you, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Boom, boom, shabang. <laughs> <laughs>